Thanks, uh, Jeff. I, I, I understood it's pretty informal, so if you guys go back for seconds or thirds, don't, don't feel bad about that. Um, Tom asked me to come and give my testimony uh, for a few minutes, so um, I said, sure, that sounds like a good idea. I, I think the theme was it's supposed to be um, some elders supposed to get to know each other a little bit better. Um, and I've been a, just to let you know, I've been a member since 95 here at this church, and I was trying to remember when I became an elder, and I couldn't really pin it down. But I have, I have notes going back to 2006, so I must have at least been on six. It might have been maybe 2005. I don't know if Greg or Dave could remember, so he can't remember. So it, I mean, I'm, I'm still just a, <coughs> a junior member here among Dave and Greg, so I don't you got to get, you know, three or four decades before you get a pen, apparently. <laughs> I haven't got my tenure pen or anything, so. Um, but Tom asked about testimony. I said, well, I started thinking about that and what people typically think about what is a testimony. And I was kind of mulling that around. Well, I had this document, and it's a little morbid, but I, I pulled out of uh, my file, uh, Last Will and Testimony. Um, and I'd just like to read you the first paragraph. Uh, we actually went to a, a Christian attorney to make um, to put this together, and he he pulled this paragraph out. And I just read it to you. It says, "I, Jebuel Brewer of Polk County, Iowa, I live in Polk County. See, uh, realizing the uncertainty of this life, and with full confidence and trust in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in His death and for my sins on the on the cross, and His shed blood as an atonement for my soul, and knowing that by faith in His sacrifice on the cross for me, I have eternal life. Do hereby make." Publish and declare this to be my last will and testimony, hereby revoking any wills and codicils by me at any time heretofore made. So that's kind of the little preamble to the will, and I thought it was kind of nice. Uh, you know, our typically in the old days would put that in there. I think now a lot of times people take that kind of stuff out because you know, they talk about God and everything. Just have to get a drink here. Of course, you can tell that <clears throat> those aren't actual my. I agree with those, and I signed that, so I, I certainly agree with that statement. They're not my own words, because you know I don't typically use words like codicils. I mean, I wasn't even sure what that was. It sounded like something your w wife might ask you to kill in the kitchen sink. <laughs> hey, hon, there's a codicil up here. <laughs> That's a big one. Bam, bam. Wonder where they're getting in the house. So, um, but uh, yeah, one of those fancy legal terms, but. No, I, I do agree with that, but I started thinking, you know, your testimony, if I was going to put it in my words, it'd be something like, you know, well, Jesus saved me, Jesus is saving me, and Jesus will save me. And and <clears throat> that sounds okay. Well, it's kind of a simple and a short thing. I, I could even leave it at that, and everybody go back and eat some more food. It would be enough. Um, but I, I will maybe expand a little bit upon that, and kind of those, those three portions of it, I think, most of the time when you think of testimony, people are really thinking, but our testimony is more than that. It's really how we live our life. Start out with um, conversion stories. Some people's conversion stories are, are uh, more exciting than others. I think Tom thought I would have lots of exciting stories to tell, but I, I don't, uh, which is good, actually. Um, but uh, in my conversion, I grew up in a a Christian home, went to church, and certainly understood and knew about Jesus and, and um, uh, the Bible from an early age. And so there really wasn't a lack of knowledge. Um, however, 
there's this idea of, you know, what does it mean to believe upon Jesus? Um, we can use these words, and we don't really know what they mean. Like, codicil. It's like, what's that mean? I mean, I signed it, but I, had to, I just signed it, and I had to look up the word later to see what it means. And I think sometimes uh, in Christianity we can use words, and we don't know what they mean. But uh, for me, uh, my conversion story, it kind of goes back to, I, again, I don't know if I was 12 or 13, uh, what age I was. It's middle school, and uh, heard about Jesus, but then uh, maybe it was a Friday night or something. But I was, I was at home, and back then he just had one TV and watching TV with my mom, and thinking really I'd rather prefer to be out with my friends or something. And uh, and then she wants to watch Billy Graham. It's like, man, this is this is really as a middle schooler, if you're at home watching TV with your mom and it's in a TV evangelist, you're like, well, this isn't really what the cool kids would be doing. You're thinking this in your mind. But I'm certainly glad that I was there that night because what was going on in my life at the time is you're going that transition middle school. You know, some of my friends were starting to, um, I'm not really sure if they had marijuana. I think they actually just had uh, tobacco, but they were pretending. But anyway, they were starting to... Uh, think about the drug culture. And I kind of knew that as you start to make friends, you're going to decide there's going to be a while that you cannot do what they do, but eventually they're going to want you to um, conform if you want to continue to be in that group. And you, you start identifying the groups, whether you're going to be a band member or, you know, on a football team. And, you know, I'm only, I'm only JV size, so I'm not going to make the football team. So you got to figure out, uh, you know, where you're going to fit into the, into it. But, that night, as I and I don't even remember what Billy Graham said or anything, but it really kind of came home to me at that point that there was this was an opportunity, this was a necessity for me to choose. And I use that word maybe different than believe, um, but it's like, what are you going to choose? What's going to be important in your life? Are you going to want to be more um, be accepted by friends in your group, or are you going to choose Jesus? And so that night, um, I would use the word choose, that I chose uh, to follow Jesus. And then, so then, that leads to this idea of your testimony. What are you going to do? Well, if you choose Jesus, I don't think Jesus wants me smoking marijuana, so those friends are going to go away. And they did, you know, so all those were, you know, I, did, I wasn't able to keep up with that group because apparently I made them uncomfortable because I wasn't going to smoke marijuana. So that's kind of the conversion story. And, and uh, I go on to I'll, the next story I'll tell you about is this testimony as you go to college and how God really is very gracious in how he brings us along and our, our walk with him. Uh, he's, he knows our weaknesses and he's faithful to make sure that whatever temptation comes in our life, that there is an opportunity to flee. Uh, sometimes we choose not to. And we become injured and wounded in that. But uh, I'll tell you one of the stories when I went to college, freshman year, um, I had an opportunity to stay with my best friend in a dorm room. And the very first night, you know, unpacking and everything, and uh, they had what was called residence assistance, RAs. And they were supposed to kind of oversee the floor and make sure things went well. So we got all the freshmen together, the RA did, and said, you know, we want to do, do something together with, with the, uh, all the freshmen. And 
Uh, you guys are here in Big Ames, Iowa, so the team that choked the other night, but uh, we won't mention that. Um, so we're there, and he says, you know, we're gonna, we're all gonna get together, and we're gonna go down, and um, this is before the, really before the internet and everything. Um, so there's this Triple X Theater downtown. We'll all go watch a, a movie at the Triple X Theater. It's like first off, and so he's asking all the freshmen to do that. It's like, wow, I don't think I can do that. So um, I said, I can't go. So the first night, I was the only freshman that didn't go. Everybody else, even my roommate. But that was really a blessing because. God knew that I was, I'm a person that tends to, my nature typically to be a man pleaser, someone who wants to see what other people to do. So God knew that. So by the first night setting, setting the line in the sand, it was actually much easier for them. And everybody's like, Jeb's kind of square. And so, that were never presented because like, well, don't even ask the guy because, you know, he's not, the first night, you know, he stayed, everybody else went. And uh, then there was opportunities as people were like, you know, it must be something different if, if you're willing to go against the crowd uh, in, in that moment. But again, that's just that concept of testimony. Every day there's opportunities and, and they're not big things, they're pretty small things, but, you know, God calls us to where we're at. Not where we think we should be or some other place, but wherever you're at is where God calls you to give your testimony and deliver your testimony. So <clears throat> I guess I'll move up the uh, time ladder here. Um, I do have notes here, so I won't ramble too much. Um, next one, Tom says, we have any Air Force stories. Well, I don't really have any uh, interesting, dangerous stories like maybe Wendell has, but... Uh, uh, I was I was in the United States Air Force as a civil engineering officer, so uh, I made runways and uh, fixed bathrooms and kind of exciting things like that. And so, yeah, cleaned up. <laughs> the, uh, my son Jared's he's he's in the Air Force now, so he decided he wanted to fly airplanes and do the exciting things. And uh, you know, he told me he says I don't want to be an engineer, Dad. That's the last thing I want to do. So. He's been able to do that. So he's flying the airplanes off the runways. But I tell him, you know, if you didn't have runways, I think you, it would be a bad day for you. So, um, but anyway, in, in the Air Force, uh, I was a civil engineer officer and one of the state, one of the places I was stationed at was up in, uh, South Dakota. And, and part of the training that we did was, um, to, uh, fix runways when people would blow them up. And in those days, uh, things, this was pre 9 11, it was, Actually, Air Force is probably more fun than it is now, and we'd go down to Air Force, uh, Tyndall uh, Air Force Base, or Eglin Air Force Base um, down in Florida, and they had this runway, and we'd actually blow holes in it. Um, we'd take, uh, that's, things weren't as tight as then. They actually showed you how you take fertilizer and diesel fuel and stick a dynamite, and you can make a fairly large explosive and blow a hole about the size of this room in a runway, and then we'd fix it, you know? So <clears throat> it's more fun blowing the hole than, than fixing it. But we would go down there and do that training for about two weeks. And it was a uh, it was a good team building time. You'd go down there and you'd meet other um, Air Force airmen from other bases and go down there. And it was a lot of work, it was really hard, long hours. 
And then at the end of the two weeks, uh, we were about ready to come back. And it was another one of those times where uh, you know, God was gracious in, in knowing how I'd react to the situation. And um, there was uh, some other officers, and they were going to take a bus into town because we were out on the base and living in tents, and so we didn't have any transportation. And But the last night, they were going to bus us into town. And so they had decided, well, we're going to go to um, you know, some sort of, stripper topless bar and and you know and they were talking about that and I says well you know I don't think I want to go with you guys if that's what they're going to going to do well they were like you don't have any choice cuz we're just going to pick you up and put you on the bus and of course since I'm JV size that's not too hard to do you know um and so I'm going well this and so we're in the tent and there's like four or five guys and they're just going to grab me and put me on the bus so I just Walked out of the tent, walked across the street. It was like, you know, 20 feet. And so I said, well, let's see what they do. Bus comes. They get on the bus. Everybody leaves. I stay there, read a book. Like, no big deal. Well, the next morning, these guys are like, well, where did you go, Jeb? And I was like, we looked all over for you. We couldn't find you. It's like, I was just like 10 or 15 feet from them. They couldn't see. You know, at the time... Going through it, it's like it didn't seem anything spectacular or amazing. But afterwards, they were like stunned that somehow I had done the Sudini trick and disappeared, where I had just simply walked out of the tent. But it's God's provision that somehow uh, He had blinded them or whatever. But He was faithful in that when you live your testimony, <clears throat> He's He's He will be there. Um, so. That's the uh, only Air Force story. But then I'll come up to um, guys aren't getting seconds except for Doug. So that's good. But he's been cooking. So um, comes up to um, kind of my journey with cancer. I've known and talked to a lot of you. There's a number of people here in church that have had cancer and, and uh, some of us passed on to glory. Um, but my journey started December 4th, 2002, uh, going for just a, a routine test. I have a, had a very uh, stressful job, and so, you know, kind of stomach issues. And they're like, well, it's probably just nerves, but we'll run some tests. So they were kind of surprised to come back and find a fairly large tumor and say, you need to get a surgery like today or tomorrow. And um, goes talk to the surgeon right now. And uh, go over and wait outside her, her office. And she says, well, I can do it tomorrow, but I'm really, really busy. Friday looks a little better. I said, well, how about Friday? You know, you don't want to rush a surgeon, right? You know, I was like, I might forget to do something. Anyway, so end up having surgery and a bunch of uh, chemotherapy. And then for about five years, there's this monitoring. You go back and monitor and everything. And, um, you know, doctors, they sometimes seem to think they'll go back and forth between you know God's the one in control to sometimes sometimes they think that maybe they're the ones that are uh, primarily uh, involved in healing but at the end of the five years I remember uh, that's kind of the magic date uh, for cancer if you go five years without it reoccurring um, by statistics they say that you're healed I, I don't know how they picked five years some bureaucratic thing but so at five years he goes you're cured you know you're good he actually used that word cured well that was with the oncologist. Uh, I also had, uh, they had me set up on annual colonoscopies because they're like, well, you know, maybe some little polyps would come back. We just got to keep 
stepping down. So the next week, I've got this appointment with the, uh, to do the colonoscopy, and they do the colonoscopy, and all of a sudden, there's this huge tumor, you know, and go back to the doctor, and it's like, you've been doing all these CT scans and everything, you know, and now I've got this huge tumor, and then they're looking at them, and they're like, oh yeah, there's tumors all over in here, and, and uh, we thought that was scar tissue, so they had not been reading the CTs correctly, so, um, and so now we got to go and do a bunch of chemotherapy first, and then go back and have a bigger operation, and they took out um, more of my colon and stomach and a bunch of other stuff. I think they took out my codicil. I wasn't sure what they took out, but <laughs> that's a, that actually is a medical joke because codicil does mean appendix to it at will, so it does. If there's any attorneys, they would appreciate that. But anyway, they took out a bunch of stuff and cut me up and, and then sent me home. So uh, then you go and do the more monitoring. And so that was the second time, I guess that would have been uh, 2007. Uh, then, it, then, it, then it came back again in uh, 2010. This time it's in the liver. Uh, originally they're like, when they first saw it, and it's, it's always complicated on cancers and surgeries because it's such a broad, you know, where the tumor is and sometimes it's easier to take and sometimes it's not. This particular where the location was, originally they didn't think they could do the surgery because it was right in the middle of the liver instead of the edge. And, uh, but then there, uh, there was a, a doctor who just recently had approval to do the surgery in Des Moines. There was only a couple people in the country and so he did the surgery, which apparently was riskier than I thought, you know, because afterwards he's like, oh, I'm glad to see you survived. You're like, well, I, I am too. Yeah, it just usually doesn't happen. I'm like, oh, great. But, it, but that, so the surgery and then some more chemotherapy and, you know, and to kind of compress, you know, 12 years of history. And then back in 2011, you know, it's the fourth time comes back. And so been seeing this, you see oncologists, you see the surgeon. Well, then the surgeon go back in 11, and he's like, oh, you know, we can't operate. There's so many tumors. And so the surgeons in 2011 is like, you know, the, the chemo cannot cure this. I can't cure it as a surgeon. You know, s surgeons are always very precise and uh, uh, very confident people. Um, you know, I mean, they're the ones they talk about having the God complexes. But, you know, you're going to die. Probably got six to 12 months. Chemo's just going to make you sick. If I was you, you need to just go ahead and do those things that you really want to do, uh, and and uh, forget about the chemotherapy because you know you don't you only got months to live. This is 2011. It's like wow, you know that's a pretty shocker. Well, my oncologist, he's much more of an optimist, uh, which I think you have to be if if you work in that field. So he's like, well, yeah, of course we can't cure you, and yeah, you will die of it. But he says, I don't know when you're going to die because maybe we can try some things and slow it up and. Uh, you know, God's going to be determined when you die. So, okay, well, so we do some chemotherapy and uh, since, uh, since 2011. Um, that, you know, some of it worked for a while, and then it stopped working and um, come up last, this last year. So this, not 14, but this uh, 15, 14. So I can 13, no, I guess it was last, yeah, last fall uh, or summer, 14. You know, the tumors were growing better. And, and finally, my optimistic oncologist like yeah it's getting pretty close here you know and I wasn't able to work anymore because I was feeling too sick so at this point you start getting the happy pills so I've been on those for a couple months so um, you know, anything I say today cannot be used in a court of law 
like that guy goes in the bathroom and confesses to a bunch of murders. So uh, since since I am on on painkillers and everything, but but since then, you know, it's it's been those uh, I haven't been able to work, but even though I haven't been able to do that, I still wanted to try to live each day as a testimony to Christ, wherever God puts you. Um, <clears throat> and I, I thought it was kind of interesting in this. People, you know, they ask lots of different questions, but I think some of the non-Christians, uh, as they're going to this cancer, there's been two things they've maybe commented on. One, one is um, they might make the statement, you know, it's not fair that you would get cancer. But, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Okay, you know, you don't drink, you don't smoke, uh, you know, you don't do these things that people would associate that you get cancer with, and, you know, you, you don't do these things that people tend to have this cause and effect. Like, okay, well, you did something bad, so something bad happens to you. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess in that sense, it isn't fair. But, you know, it wasn't fair for Christ to die on the cross for our sins. So, um, that's a good thing. So, life isn't fair, but, God is merciful, God is good, and each day He gives us grace and <clears throat> mercy to live our life. Um, the other one is people were like, uh, even early on, 2011, it's like, hey, you know, you're still working, you're, you're doing the same thing that you've always been doing, you know, don't you want to just quit your job and go do whatever this bucket list is and, and do something that you think is significant? Now, that was always kind of an interesting thought because it's like, well, you know, what is your life? You know, if if you're not living your life today as significant, why why should it change? It's like, is is going to the beach somewhere is that more significant than just getting up each day, <coughs> trying to do your job? Um, and it's not because because God calls us to be faithful in whatever He's He's called us to do. So this is where the joke comes into light in the moment. <laughs> so Jeff doesn't have a joke for me, right? No. Anyway. <clears throat> so it kind of um, brings me to the end of my, my um, talk, but I guess I would just encourage each one of you to be faithful wherever God puts you. 